Chapter Twenty Eight of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter Twenty Eight. We get rid of the pigs and pianoforte. The last boat on shore before sailing. The first lieutenant too hasty, and the consequences to me. We waited three days at the expiration of which we heard that captain too was about to exchange with captain savage we could not believe such good news to be true and we could not ascertain the truth of the report as the captain had gone on shore with mrs too who recovered fast after she was out of our doctor's hands so fast indeed that a week afterwards on questioning the steward upon his return on board how mrs too was he replied oh charmin well again sir she's eaten a whole pig since she left the ship but the report was true captain too afraid to go to the west indies had effected an exchange with captain savage captain savage was permitted as was the custom of the service to bring his first lieutenant his boatswain his barge's crew with him he joined a day or two before we sailed and never was there more joy on board the only people miserable were the first lieutenant and those belonging to the sanglier who were obliged to follow captain too who with his wife his pigs and her piano were all got rid of in the course of one forenoon i have already described payday on board a man-of-war but i think that the two days before sailing are even more unpleasant although generally speaking all our money being spent we are not sorry when we once are fairly out of harbour and find ourselves in blue water the men never work well in those days they are thinking of their wives and sweethearts of the pleasure they had when at liberty on shore where they might get drunk without punishment and many of them are either half drunk at the time or suffering from the effects of previous intoxication the ship is in disorder and crowded with the variety of stock and spare stores which are obliged to be taken on board in a hurry and have not yet been properly secured in their places the first lieutenant is cross the officers are grave and the poor midshipmen with all their own little comforts to attend to are harassed and drive about like post-horses mr simple inquired the first lieutenant where do you come from from the gunworth sir with the gunner's spare blocks and breechings very well send the marines aft to clear the boat and pipe away the first cutter mr simple jump into the first cutter and go to mount wise for the officers be careful that none of your men leave the boat come be smart now i had been away the whole morning and it was then half-past one i had had no dinner but i said nothing and went into the boat as soon as i was off o'brien who stood by mr falcon said pater was thinking of his dinner poor fellow i really quite forgot it replied the first lieutenant there is so much to do he is a willing boy and he shall dine in the gun-room when he comes back and so i did so i lost nothing by not expostulating and gained more of the favour of the first lieutenant who never forgot what he called zeal but the hardest trial of the whole is to the midshipman who is sent to the boat to purchase the supplies for the cabin and gun-room on the day before the ship's sailing it was my misfortune to be ordered upon that service this time and that very unexpectedly i had been ordered to dress myself to take the gig on shore for the captain's orders and was walking the deck with my very best uniform and side-arms when the marine officer who was the gun-room caterer came up to the first lieutenant and asked him for a boat the boat was manned and a midshipman ordered to take charge of it but when he came up the first lieutenant recollecting that he had come off two days before with only half his boat's crew would not trust him and calling out to me here mr simple i must send you in this boat 
mind you are careful that none of the men leave it and bring off the sergeant of marines who is on shore looking for the men who have broken their liberty although i could not but feel proud of the compliment yet i did not much like going in my very best uniform and would have run down and changed it but the marine officer and all the people were in the boat and i could not keep it waiting so down the side i went and we shoved off we had besides the boat's crew the marine officer the purser the gun-room steward the captain's steward and the purser's steward so that we were pretty full it blew hard from the southeast and there was a sea running but as the tide was flowing into the harbor there was not much bubble we hoisted the foresail flew before the wind and tide and in quarter of an hour we were at mutton cove when the marine officer expressed his wish to land the landing-place was crowded with boats and it was not without sundry exchanges of foul words and oaths and bowmen dashing the points of their boat-hooks into the shore-boats to make them keep clear of us that we forced our way to the beach the marine officer and all the stewards then left the boat and i had to look after the men i had not been there three minutes before the bowman said that his wife was on the wharf with his clothes from the wash and begged leave to go and fetch them i refused telling him that she could bring them to him why no mr Shimple said the woman aren't you a nice lady's man to go for to ax me to mutter my way to all the dead dogs cabbage stocks and stinking hakes heads with my brand new shoes and clean stockings i looked at her and sure enough she was as they say in france bien chaussée come mr Shimple, let him out to come for his clothes and you'll see that he's back in a moment i did not like to refuse her and it was very dirty and wet and the shingle was strewed with all that she mentioned the bowman made a spring out with his boat-hook threw it back went up to his wife and commenced talking with her while i watched him if you please sir there's my young woman come down mayn't i speak to her said another of the men i turned round and refused him he expostulated and begged very hard but i was resolute however when i again turned my eyes to watch the bowman he and his wife were gone there says i to the coxswain i knew it would be so you see hickman is off only gone to take a part in glass sir replied the coxswain he'll be here directly i hope so but i'm afraid not after this i refused all the solicitations of the men to be allowed to leave the boat but i permitted them to have some beer brought down to them the gunboat steward then came back with a basket of soft tack in other words loaves of bread and told me that the marine officer requested i would allow two of the men to go up with him to glencross shop to bring down some of the stores of course i sent two of the men and told the steward if he saw hickman to bring him down to the boat by this time many of the women belonging to the ship had assembled and commenced a noisy conversation with the boat's crew one brought one article for jim another some clothes for bill some of them climbed into the boat and sat with the men others came and went bringing beer and tobacco which the men desired them to purchase the crowd the noise and confusion were so great that it was with the utmost difficulty that i could keep my eyes on all my men who one after another made an attempt to leave the boat just at that time came down the sergeant of marines with three of our men whom he had picked up roaring drunk they were tumbled into the boat and increased the difficulty as in looking after those who were riotous and would try to leave the boat by force i was not so well able to keep my eyes on those who were sober the sergeant then went up after another man and i told him also about hickman about half an hour afterwards the steward came down with the two men loaded with cabbages baskets of eggs strings of onions crockery of all descriptions paper parcels of groceries legs and shoulders of mutton 
which were crowded in until not only the stern sheets but all under the thwarts of the boat was also crammed full they told me that they had a few more things to bring down and that the marine officer had gone to stonehouse to see his wife so that they should be down long before him in half an hour more during which i had the greatest difficulty to manage the boat's crew they returned with a dozen geese and two ducks tied by the legs but without the two men who had given them the slip so that there were now three men gone and i knew mr falcon would be very angry for they were three of the smartest men in the ship i was now determined not to run the risk of losing more men and i ordered the boat's crew to shove off that i might lie at the wharf where they could not climb up they were very mutinous grumbled very much and would hardly obey me the fact is they had drunk a great deal and some of them were more than half tipsy however at last i was obeyed but not without being saluted with a shower of invectives from the women and the execrations of the men belonging to the wherries and shore-boats which were washed against our sides by the swell the weather had become much worse and looked very threatening i waited an hour more when the sergeant of marines came down with two more men one of whom to my great joy was hickman this made me more comfortable as i was not answerable for the other two still i was in great trouble from the riotous and insolent behaviour of the boat's crew and the other men brought down by the sergeant of marines one of them fell back into a basket of eggs and smashed them all to atoms still the marine officer did not come down and it was getting late the tide being now at the ebb running out against the wind there was a very heavy sea and i had to go off to the ship with a boat deeply laden and most of the people in her in a state of intoxication the coxswain who was the only one who was sober recommended our shoving off as it would soon be dark and some accident would happen i reflected a minute and agreeing with him i ordered the oars to be got out and we shoved off the sergeant of marines and the gun-room steward perched up in the bows drunken men ducks and geese lying together at the bottom of the boat the stern sheets loaded up to the gunwale and the other passengers and myself sitting how we could among the crockery and a variety of other articles with which the boat was crowded it was a scene of much confusion the half-drunken boat's crew catching crabs and falling forward upon the others those who were quite drunk swearing they would pull lay on your oar sullivan you were doing more harm than good you drunken rascal i'll report you as soon as we get on board oh the devil can i pull your honour when there's that fellow jones breaking the very back of me with his oars and he never touching the water all the while you lie cried jones i'm pulling the boat by myself against the hull of the larboard oars he's rowing dry your honour only make believe do you call this rowing dry cried another as the sea swept over the boat fore and aft wetting every body to the skin now your honour just look and see if i ain't pulling the very arms off of me cried sullivan is there water enough to cross the bridge swinburne said i to the coxswain plenty mr simple it is but quarter ebb and the sooner we are on board the better we were now past devil's point and the sea was very heavy the boat plunged in the trough so that i was afraid that we should break her back she was soon half full of water and the two after oars were laid in for the men to bail please your honour hadn't i better cut free the legs of them ducks and geese and allow them to swim for their lives cried sullivan resting on his oar the poor birds will be drowned else in their own element no no pull away as hard as you can by this time the drunken men in the bottom of the boat began to be very uneasy from the quantity of water which washed about them and made several staggering attempts to get on their legs they fell down again upon the ducks and the geese the major part of which were saved from being drowned by being suffocated the sea on the bridge was very heavy 
and although the tide swept us out we were nearly swamped soft bread was washing about the bottom of the boat the parcels of sugar pepper and salt were wet through with the salt water and a sudden jerk threw the captain's steward who was seated upon the gunwale close to the after-oar right upon the whole of the crockery and eggs which added to the mass of destruction a few more seas shipped completed the job and the gun-room steward was in despair that's a darling cried sullivan the politest boat in the whole fleet she makes more bows and curtsies than the finest couple in the land give way my lads and work the crater stuff out of your elbows and the first lieutenant will see us all sober so wet in the bargain and thinking we're all so dry that perhaps he'll be after giving us a raw nip when we get on board in a quarter of an hour we were nearly alongside but the men pulled so badly and the sea was so great that we missed the ship and went astern they veered out a boy with a line which we got hold of and were hauled up by the marines and afterguard the boat plunging bows under and drenching us through and through at last we got under the counter and i climbed up by the stern ladder mr falcon was on deck and very angry at the boat not coming alongside properly i thought mr simple that you knew by this time how to bring a boat alongside so i do sir i hope replied i but the boat was so full of water and the men would not give way what men has the sergeant brought on board three sir replied i shivering with the cold and unhappy at my very best uniform being spoiled are all your boat's crew with you sir no sir there are two left on shore they not a word sir up to the masthead and stay there till i call you down if it were not so late i would send you on shore and not receive you on board again without the men up sir immediately i did not venture to explain but i went up it was very cold blowing hard from the southeast with heavy squalls i was so wet the wind appeared to blow through me and it was now nearly dark i reached the cross-trees and when i was seated there i felt that i had done my duty and had not been fairly treated during this time the boat had been hauled up alongside to clear and a pretty clearance there was all the ducks and geese were dead the eggs and crockery all broken the grocery almost washed away in short as o'brien observed there was a very pretty general average mr falcon was still very angry who are the men missing inquired he of swinburne the coxswain as he came up by the side williams and sweetman sir two of the smartest top men i am told it really is too provoking there is not a midshipman in the ship i can trust i must work all day and get no assistance the service is really going to the devil now with the young men who are sent on board to be brought up as officers and who are above doing their duty what made you so late swinburne waiting for the marine officer who went to stonehouse to see his wife but mr simple would not wait any longer and it was getting dark and we had so many drunken men in the boat mr simple did right i wish mr harrison would stay on shore with his wife altogether it's really trifling with the service pray mr swinburne why had not you your eyes about you if mr simple was so careless how came you to allow these men to leave the boat the men were ordered up by the marine officer to bring down your stores sir and they gave the steward the slip it was no fault of mr simple's nor of mine either we laid off at the wharf for two hours before we started or we should have lost more for what can a poor lad do when he has charge of drunken men who will not obey orders and the coxswain looked up at the masthead as much as to say why is he sent there i'll take my oath sir continued swinburne that mr simple never put his foot out of the boat from the time that he went over the side until he came on board and that no young gentleman could have done his duty more strictly mr falcon looked very angry at first 
at the coxswain speaking so freely but said nothing he took one or two turns on the deck and then hailing the masthead desired me to come down but i could not my limbs were so cramped with the wind blowing upon my wet clothes that i could not move he bailed again i heard him but was not able to answer one of the top men then came up and perceiving my condition hailed the deck and said he believed i was dying for i could not move and that he dared not leave for fear i should fall o'brien who had been on deck all the while jumped up the rigging and was soon at the cross-trees where i was he sent the topman down into the top for a sail-block and the studding sail halyards made a whip and lowered me on deck i was immediately put into my hammock and the surgeon ordering me some hot brandy and water and plenty of blankets in a few hours i was quite restored o'brien who was at my bedside said never mind peter and don't be angry with mr falcon for he is very sorry i'm not angry o'brien for mr falcon has been too kind to me not to make me forgive him for being once hasty the surgeon came to my hammock gave me some more hot drink desired me to go to sleep and i woke the next morning quite well when i came into the berth my messmates asked me how i was and many of them railed against the tyranny of mr falcon but i took his part saying that he was hasty in this instance perhaps but that generally speaking he was an excellent and very just officer some agreed with me but others did not one of them who was always in disgrace sneered at me and said peter reads the bible and knows that if you smite one cheek he must offer the other now i'll answer for it if i pull his right ear he will offer me his left so saying he lugged me by the ear upon which i knocked him down for his trouble the berth was then cleared away for a fight and in a quarter of an hour my opponent gave in but i suffered a little and had a very black eye i had hardly time to wash myself and change my shirt which was bloody when i was summoned on the quarter-deck i arrived i found mr falcon walking up and down he looked very hard at me but did not ask me any questions as to the cause of my unusual appearance mr simple said he i sent for you to beg your pardon for my behaviour to you last night which was not only very hasty but very unjust i find that you were not to blame for the loss of the men i felt very sorry for him when i heard him speak so handsomely and to make his mind more easy i told him that although i certainly was not to blame for the loss of those two men still i had done wrong in permitting hickman to leave the boat and that had not the sergeant picked him up i should have come off without him and therefore i did deserve the punishment which i had received mr simple replied mr falcon i respect you and admire your feelings still i was to blame and it is my duty to apologize now go down below i would have requested the pleasure of your company to dinner but i perceive that something else has occurred which under any other circumstances i would have inquired into but at present i shall not i touched my hat and went below in the meantime o'brien had been made acquainted with the occasion of the quarrel which he did not fail to explain to mr falcon who o'brien declared was not the least bit in the world angry with me for what had occurred indeed after that mr falcon always treated me with the greatest kindness and employed me on every duty which he considered of consequence he was a sincere friend for he did not allow me to neglect my duty but at the same time treated me with consideration and confidence the marine officer came on board very angry at being left behind and talked about a court-martial on me for disrespect and neglect of stores entrusted to my charge but o'brien told me not to mind him or what he said it's my opinion peter that the gentleman has eaten no small quantity of flapdoodle in his lifetime what's that o'brien replied i i've never heard of it why peter rejoined he it's the stuff they feed fools on End of chapter twenty eight